0: Welcome to Antioch Raleigh's weekly online sermon. We hope that
1: you are encouraged by this word.
0: For more information on Antioch Raleigh or access to our other online sermons, visit us at antiochraleigh.com.
1: You're wondering why I'm sitting up here with Craig. I am really excited. For those of you that don't know, Craig is also one of our elders. Besides being a a multi-talented musician, he is also a scholar. He's a finishing his dissertation and his Ph.D. at Southeastern Baptist Seminary uh, this spring. He's defending his dissertation when, in March or April?
0: Sometime in spring. Sometime in spring. Yeah.
1: yeah that's when he gets to stand in front of some really uh, tough theologians who uh, question everything you put in there, right? That's right. Yeah, um, like the Bereans. They, and so... Last week, I want to read kind of the text we started with. Um, I think they're going to put up the I believe statement. And one of the... We're kind of camping out on this I believe. I believe that 2022 will be a year where the Word manifests itself incarnationally in and among us as Antioch folks. And last week, I I, I kind of shared a word that, that hopefully provoked you to love the word of God. And one of the things I'm beginning to get feedback, and, and it's not like this is a surprise to me, but it's it's the reality that a lot of Bible believing believers get very discouraged when they read the Bible. Because they just feel a little overwhelmed. They feel and and overwhelmed how many of you, when you were like in the fifth grade, you tried to read that that novel that your older brother and sister told you about, and you, they were so excited about it, and you tried to read it, and you just couldn't comprehend it because you didn't feel, you know, you didn't have the vocabulary, or maybe you just didn't have the skill set yet. You haven't hadn't acquired enough language. And a lot of us feel that way when we read the Bible. We feel like we're you know, So we stick with things that are really the simplest, maybe the Psalms and Proverbs, and maybe the gospel, and even then sometimes we're a little confused, and we shuffle through a different translation or two or three. And the bottom line is, when I was about 25 years ago, I, I felt like the Lord, after all the graduate school I ever thought I would need, He said, I want you to go to seminary. And I was in for an argument because I, I didn't want to go anymore. And the Lord said, I want you to go to seminary. And I'd made all the jokes about cemetery. And I, I you know, I, I was one of those guys that go, you don't need to go to seminary. I mean, God can use you without having to go to seminary. You know, I did all that stuff. One of the very first courses I had was, was with, with Dr. Lyle Story. Great name. And Dr. Story, when I got through that semester on biblical interpretation, I had a Homer Simpson moment. Oh, gosh. Here I am, 40 years old, and I didn't know this, and nobody taught me this stuff. Why is this not being taught in the church? Why why don't we just teach? I mean, this isn't complicated stuff. And so... What we're going to do today is a little equipping. It's not primary. So I want you to get your thinking caps on. What we're going to do is we're going to teach you how to read the Bible. And we're going to just, we're going to probably turn this into a couple of weeks at least. That we're going to do this. But um, let me read you this text that we're, we're dealing with here. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me a little scroll. And he said to me, take it and eat it. Take it and eat it. A lot of us have little phrases in our devotional life with God. One of them is, take up your cross daily. Love your neighbor. Bless those who curse you. I want you to have another little phrase. Take and eat this book. So, Craig... Uh, let me ask you this really high-level question. Who are biblical interpreters?
0: Yeah, we all end up in being interpreters. Um, just the question is, is uh, you know, how, how deep do we go? How well do we do it? Um, how casual or how careful? Um, how, how well do we do it? It's really, we're, we all end up interpreting the Bible. And um, it already happens. Mm. And one of the things that I think is, um, one of the things that has helped me to know how to teach myself and to teach others how to read the Bible, is to give you some confidence that it's already happening. It's happening intuitively. And a lot of times it's happening successfully, but we don't know how. So the question is, when we're doing it right and we don't know that we're doing it right, nor do we know how we're doing it right, the best way to learn how to read the Bible is to figure out how we're succeeding and maximize that. And I always have this joke that I use that's, it's not the greatest, but it's, I can't think of a better it's one. It's a
1: great joke. Like, I love
0: it. So, just to see if you guys get it. Um, it's not by accident that a group of baboons is called a congress.
1: <laughs> okay, some people really got it. That's right. And then some of you are still scratching your head, right? right. You're going, it's not by accident. Oh, con-, con. Right. Okay.
0: So if I was to explain the joke, it would take about a paragraph of you know, trying to go through the history of, of people's opinions about the United States Congress and the fact that baboons maybe are not as intelligent as primates as humans are. And then you'd have to put all that together. And the great thing about that joke is you don't have to explain it. I said a few words, you guys filled in the rest. When I said those few words, I was basically lobbing you like a volleyball and you bumped, set, spiked it, and figured it out on your own. And so much of communication works that way and the Bible is no different. There's a lot of things where it sets you up and then tells you to go search a few thoughts and interpret based on that. And one of the best examples is in the book of Jonah. Uh, We have a few examples from Jonah. So pay attention mostly to how interpretation happens in this situation, in addition to the the text itself. But when Jonah finally agreed to go and preach to the people in Nineveh, whom he didn't really like, he said this, in 40 days, you will all be destroyed. That was his message.
1: That was his sermon on Sunday his sermon. morning. sermon, yeah.
0: Yeah, so I don't know how many words that is, but it's not very many. So what did they do? They repented, like, full on. They even, like, put sackcloth and ashes on their cows. I mean, they <laughs> just went full on. And my question is, what licensed them to interpret Jonah's words as an invitation to repent? All Jonah said was, hey, in 40 days... Y'all going to die. That's it. Well, here's the, here's the, the the short answer is desperation. (laughs) That's what licensed them to be like, well, I don't know, maybe we can avert this. Let's repent. Um, That's the short answer. The longer answer is for every statement, for every act of communication, there are two things that happen. There's information and there's intention. Now, the information was in 40 days you're going to die. But what's the intention? Where did they get that? If you're going to go to the trouble to, to employ a prophet, a prophet who wasn't very cooperative,
1: yeah, he and was, you're going <laughs> to chase him all over the Mediterranean, yeah. Yeah.
0: and then get him all the way back to Nineveh, if you're going to go to that much trouble and announce 40 days in advance that this group of people is going to be destroyed, why would you do that? He didn't have to say anything, right? He could just, just, you know, rain hailstones on them, you know, brimstone and whatever else and just, you know, do the, do the thing and, and not even t- tell them in advance. So, the, the part that licensed their interpretation, which was the correct interpretation, much to Jonah's chagrin, is that why would God talk to us at all unless He wanted us to repent? And I think a lot of times when you read the scripture, you have to ask not only what is being told you, but why. Why is he telling me this? What do I need to do about this? And once you figure that out, then you'll understand that a lot of these things that sound so awful I mean, yeah, in 40 days you're going to die. You have a couple of choices there. You can despair, or you can, why is God saying this to me? Maybe there's grace. Maybe he's saying this harsh word out of grace. Maybe this is a chance for me to change my life and go the right way and also help my cows go the right way. <laughs> you know, so that's a, that's a good example of we're all interpreters, but you have to get sometimes behind just the information and also ask why. Why? Why is God even bothering to tell me this right now? And if it seems like bad news, but he's telling me in advance, it actually might be good news. So that's, that's one, one good thing to remember about how to do that. And one we do that
1: naturally. One of the uh, things I'd ask, you know, I, Craig and I have these hour-long conversations on the phone, and we're lobbying. It's like a tennis match. We're just back mm-hmm. and forth with stuff. And I always love it because um, uh, he's always very intellectually stimulating, and one of the things I'd I, I'd, I'd lobbed the first volley and he lobbed back just a crushing answer which I loved and I'm going to give you one of them and, and we're gonna these are our three points if you will and then I'm just going to lob it back over to him but here's his here, here's his and I have I've made a few edits just to mm. clarify make it a little um, less academic every narrative story story narrative is a story has a launch point and a target or an initiating situation and a concluding situation. If you read Lord of the Rings, if you read any novel, our, our oblivious hero doesn't know they're about to become a hero. But then there's a crisis. And in the crisis, something happens and it looks like all is going to fail. And the hero has to continually... Now, this is a really good novel. The modern-day, you know, kind of postmodern, nihilistic... Uh, don't read those novels. Uh, but good novels always end with the hero conquering, right? The ones we like to... You know, th- those are the movies we actually like to go to. And so there's a concluding situation. Knowing both of these, plus the role of the intervening developments... To bridge between them is is knowing the point or the purpose of the entire story yeah. so discovering it's a huge leap toward comprehension this same applies to smaller level sub uh I, let me just say this point number one what's the point that's a good summary right it is it is when i was
0: in preaching class when i was in seminary they they told us find the central idea of the text the C-I-T. I mean, they had this whole little scheme, you know, to help us to know how to, to preach a sermon. Well, the, the problem was is they never told us how to find that. Like, how do you find the central idea of the text? Well, you, just, you read it and you're like, well, what jumps out at me? That's kind of random. Yeah. I wanted to know, no, really, what did the author want to convey? And I figured it out. It's like, this is the, this is the most obvious thing ever, really. It well, let me give you an example. I'm not going to preach on the entire book of Matthew, but if I did, if I wanted to, what would I do? I would read the beginning, and I would read the end, and I'd see if there's anything that was parallel between beginning and end. Oh, I love this. Yeah. And then see if there's any, also any difference that's based on that parallelism. So here's just an example. There's a bunch of them. But one of them is one of the names that Jesus is given is Emmanuel, God with us. That's at the beginning of at Matthew. At the very beginning of Matthew, yeah. right. And that's a pretty important name, kind of a cool idea, very interesting concept. But you don't really know what it means, God with us. Well, let's jump to the end. And, you know, Jesus is giving the great commission, go ye therefore into all nations and make disciples. And then he says, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. And now we're sort of getting an idea that God with us it's Jesus. Jesus is with us. Jesus has given us a mission. Now you're, you're starting to part, put together what the entire book of Matthew is about. Now there's more, but that at yeah, least… Yeah,
1: Matthew 24, that, those verses in there. Right?
0: Yeah, right, right. Yep. Um, when did we give you a cup of cold water and visit you in prison and clothe you when you were naked? Well, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. See, God is with us in our service to the people in need around us. So, um, there's, there's just these things, you know, if, if right. you get the beginning and the end, and you get the parallels between them, and also understand the differences between them, almost everything in between will start to shade, come into your, your ability to recognize it, like, oh yeah, that's what this whole book is about. And then, now you have a way to, to place things that you read in the middle, and they'll, they'll have a place, and all of a sudden, everything will make sense. That's, that's one of the great tips. That's how to find the central idea of a text. And you can do it with smaller texts also.
1: You, you know, one of, one of my things I like to say is about verses. Uh-huh. What, 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 why, do, why do some of us almost want to get rid of verses? And even chapter headings.
0: Yeah, they were put in there later, and they really help us to figure out, you know, we can, so we can say, hey, go to chapter 3 of Matthew and, and verse 14 or whatever it is. That's really great. One of the problems, though, with it is it chops it up. And so we sometimes read the Bible like a fortune cookie, like a sequence of fortune cookies, you know, and we, when we go in there, and I've actually done this, and I've actually gotten a lot of edifying things from doing this, Yeah. but I'll just sort of, like, put my finger... Boom, first whatever, and just read it. Gospel roulette. That's right, that's right. <laughs> I never thought of that, that's a good one, yeah. <laughs> Gospel roulette. And you know, a lot of times, you know, the Lord will direct you in that way. But you realize, of course, that this is, most of the Bible is a story. Most of it has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And most of it has a plot, and you wouldn't walk into the middle of a movie. Nor would you walk out in the middle of a movie. You'd sit at the beginning, and you'd read to the end. Um, now, granted, some of these books are rather long, and you can't always do that, but you know what I'm saying? You, 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 there's a sequence. There's a story. There's a plot. There's context, and that's actually just normal reading. Like when you pick up a John Grisham novel or a Robert Ludlam novel or you know, a, a Tolkien novel or even just a history, the history of the Roman Empire, Yeah. there's a sequence, and you will not understand it unless you figure out the sequence. And... Um, Yeah. I mean, Luke tells us that too. He says, you know, having followed everything carefully from the beginning, I wrote this account, this orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may have the certainty of the things about which you've been taught. Luke says, hey, I followed this. I followed this whole sequence from the beginning. So I know this history. I know what it's about. I know the players. I know God's work in and through them. And since I have understood that, I'm going to give you an intelligible, orderly narrative so you too can understand that. And so what he's saying is, Theophilus, lover of God, friend, most excellent person, read the sequence, and then you'll get it. Read the whole sequence, and then you'll get it.
1: So let's talk a little bit about the whole concept of context. Uh, Maybe the context of the the history, the background, and then kind of the context of the content itself. What's the difference there, and how do we identify context?
0: Sometimes people use the word co-text. That is context in terms of where you start in a passage, and then reading all of its content in relation to itself in that near context. Um, It's important to do that instead of jumping around. It's important to read the entire Bible, and you can jump around sometimes, but here's what happens, I think. Say you're reading in Matthew, and you see these words, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect, and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't do that. I know what I'll do. I'm going to jump to Romans, which tells me that all people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, because this whole thing about being perfect is making me nervous. So, like, uh, you know, Martin Luther, help me, you know. uh, Give me some Protestant theology so I don't have to be perfect, right? You know, and it's like, no, 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 just hang in there. You don't run away from Jesus. What is the context of be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect? Well, if you just back up and read that as the Father sends the rain and the sunshine on the just and the unjust, He loves indiscriminately. He even loves His enemies, Therefore, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That is, don't just love who you feel like loving. Love anyone. Love everyone who needs love, even your enemies. And when you do that, you'll be like your heavenly Father. So, imitate Him in that perfection. That's what it means in that context. So, instead of running off to Romans or Galatians and, and you know, it's good. Go there. Please. Now, I'm, don't, don't, I'm, you don't misunderstand me. But you understand that, you know, if you just hang in there and stay in that spot… Uh, There's really good truth that Jesus is offering, and then once you figure that out, then maybe later you can go to Paul and then compare them and stuff, but make sure you you understand within its own context first before you you leap around to get what you want, because you can actually string any series of verses together to make, you know, therefore Judas went off and killed himself, therefore go and do likewise. You don't want to do that kind of thing. (laughs) That's just a bad idea. You know, make sure you stay in your context.
1: One of the things we're going to get into probably next time is some of the techniques Bible writers uh, and the Holy Spirit uses. But we're not going to cover it. We're kind of trying to stay at a little bit, you know, closer to 10,000 feet instead of 500 feet. So let me me, uh, read kind of your protocol number two.
0: Okay.
1: Every story has an overarching value system that incorporates, negotiates with, and corrects other value systems. These elements are always found at the points of conflict in the action and in the speaking or in the conflicts between different understandings of these concepts. So if you go through and flag any two directly opposing actions or speeches or thinking or verbs, this value system will start to emerge. There's more to it than this, but yeah. you could write a paper on that, I'm sure. I, I could. already
0: have. <laughs> Here's one of the things where I, as, a, as, a, as a, a student of the Bible, I study success. That's, you know, how is it that you guys manage to interpret that? How does that work? Almost nobody gets the parable of the Good Samaritan wrong, unless you try. Why is it that everyone understands it? Well, there's two guys who see a victim on the side of the road and they walk by on the other side. And then there's another guy who sees the same victim has compassion and helps him and heals him. That's an opposition. Two guys walk by, the other guy has compassion and helps him. that's, That's why that makes sense. That's why that parable can't be misunderstood. If if, if you just find those verbs of opposition, you'll know what is the right action and what is the wrong action and what is the value system of that parable. Now, here's the trick. Back up and do the same thing in the conversation between the lawyer and Jesus. And the lawyer came to test Jesus and and said, you know, how do I receive uh, everlasting life? And And Jesus asks, well, how do you read the law? And the guy said, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus said, yeah, good job. The lawyer thought that there was going to be some sort of uh, heretical answer. And I'll, ex- you know, I, we can't explain why, but he thought that, that Jesus was going to give some crazy answer. And instead he just quoted <laughs> Moses. And so he didn't take the bait. So the lawyer's like, oh, that didn't work. How, what do I do? Oh yeah, who is my neighbor? Well, now all of a sudden, the lawyer's not so smart, and so he actually asked a pretty good question, like how, yeah, I can read the law, but can I read my life? How do I know who my neighbor is? I mean, I know I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but who is my neighbor? So there, the situation is not only how do I interpret the law, but how do I interpret regular situations in my daily life? And then Jesus tells that parable to answer how. And basically, if you back up and understand the opposition between the lawyer's question Who is my neighbor? And then understand the way the parable works. Who proved neighbor to the one in the ditch? You'll see that Jesus actually performed a pretty amazing change in how you define what a neighbor is.
1: Brilliant. The
0: lawyer drew the circle around himself, and whoever was close enough to him, had enough affinity to him, was part of his in-group, or was somehow, you know, you know, within his own circle of friends, that was a neighbor. That's what his question presupposed. What Jesus said was you draw the circle around the person in need, and you jump in that circle if they need a neighbor. you get that? That is just so cool. And, like, how brilliant is Jesus? I mean, why are we surprised? But, you know, like, he is so brilliant. And... I, you know, I never forget when I discovered that. And like, I didn't discover that. <laughs> I just paid attention. And that's, that's, so, that's so neat. That's part of what we call the word exegesis. It's a Greek word meaning to draw out. And a lot of times what it is is slow down. Slow down and think, okay, what happened here? Like, I, I kind of get it, but I don't know how or why. And you just back up and you start to trace through oh yeah, who is my neighbor? How is that opposed to Jesus' answer, who proved neighbor to the one in need? And then once you figure that out, now you understand, now you have a whole new way of reading your own experience. Who needs a neighbor? Jump in that circle. There's your neighbor. That's how you defined it. Now you have a whole new way of an other-focused pattern of perception. And that's what Jesus is trying to teach us, an other-focused pattern of perception.
1: Yeah. One of the things that I always... Th- th- this was one of those aha moments. I- I- I'm almost ashamed to say it. I'd planted churches. I'd preached. I'd done a lot of stuff. I guess maybe subconsciously I'd done it. But I had a, a very literal translation that the, the Bible that I had... Um, you know, in the front of every Bible, there's a lot of little detailed minutia that nobody ever reads. And it's basically a little guide on how to read, the, read this particular version of the Bible. And in it, there was a little phrase that said, anytime you see a dark, bold beginning of a sentence, that's the beginning of a paragraph. I never read that. All I had was verses. They're all equal. Every, on every page of every bit of that, very good translation. It's a good translation. It wasn't wrong with it. But you know what it did? It made me be a fortune cookie kind of. I, I never thought about context. Then, years later, I, I, I'm sitting through this class, and the professor says, find the paragraph. What do you mean the paragraph? How many of you went to English class? I mean, what, what, what does a paragraph express? A new thought. Duh. A lot of... This is exactly the way God speaks to us with new thoughts. He introduces a new thought. So when you go and land in the right smack dab in the middle of a paragraph that happens to be verse 17, you might want to go all the way up to verse 5, which is the beginning of the paragraph, and just read the paragraph. You've, you've, basically, you've gone a long way to getting... Kind of a, at least a complete thought, the point, and then, all of a sudden, you're seeing these tensions and these conflicts and these ideas. But, in other words, the verses get in our way because we just see that instead of the paragraph.
0: Yeah, a good example of that is in in um, oh I can't remember. I think it's in Mark six where you read all these different stories, you know, and then uh, there's a feeding of the 5,000, then there's some other stuff, and then they get in a boat, and there's a headwind, and then Jesus comes out on the water to help them. And they're really, really kind of freaking out because, you know, you're not supposed to be out on the water, like, just walking on it. That's not how things work. (laughs) And so they think he's a ghost. And then Mark says something really funny. He says, yeah, they had hard hearts. They didn't understand because they didn't understand about the loaves which is referring back to the feeding of the 5,000, which happened several paragraphs before. And what you're realizing is, oh, no. They were supposed, these disciples were supposed to learn the lesson from their earlier experience that God can take care of things and then hold that and then in the next crisis rely on that information and react to their n- new crisis with the same trust that they hopefully had learned earlier, but they didn't. This is telling us as readers the same thing happens to us when we read these as little discrete episodes and we don't learn from one how it connects to the next. And if we don't do that in terms of reading these paragraphs and how they connect, we're probably not also doing that in our own experience. Did you experience a miracle last year, anyone? If you did, what happens when you're in the next crisis?
1: Yeah. Remember.
0: Remember. Oh, yes. Don't be hard hearted. Yeah, that's how you make progress in your faith. That's how you make progress as disciples. And so the same ability to connect in our own lives is also what Jesus and others, other authors of Scripture are doing in Scriptures to help us to connect things and make progress in our discipleship as well.
1: Like a good novel, the Bible does another technique that's very common, that not good novelist. Uh, and let me just read you Craig's real, real well thought out. Every discourse, including narratives... Uh, In prose, poems, poetry, anticipates your reaction to it and then uses that as part of the meaning effect. So, explain that.
0: Yeah. Almost everybody who writes something has an idea of the audience in their minds while they're writing it or speaking. And what's interesting about that is they normally start where you and the audience can connect. So they start about where you already agree with the point that I'm trying to make. But they don't. if, if, if they're going to talk about something you already agree with, there's no point in saying anything to you because you already think how they think anyway, right? So the way that they work is an author will begin where they think the audience is and then give them a nice little hug. Yeah, man, we've got this. We're on the same page, aren't we? But then later, what will happen is they'll start to change things up and they'll start to give you little surprises and tensions and paradoxes and because they're trying to move you towards their way of thinking. They've started where you were, but they're moving you to where they want you to be. And God is no different in our lives. He'll start with us, and yeah, I've got you. Now I'm going to give you a little challenge. see if you can figure this out. The Bible does that all the time, and I think one of the most famous examples is the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah, Jonah is called to go to the Ninevites. He doesn't want to go. He goes the other direction. And initially... The book of Jonah kind of leads us on to believe that Jonah was scared to go to the Ninevites because they're big, bad people. The problem is, as you're about halfway through the book of Jonah, and you're thinking that he's scared, and that's why he's going the opposite direction, they're in the middle of this storm, and he's asleep. He doesn't care. And actually, when they finally start to sink, Jonah says, guys, I know what's up. Just throw me overboard. It's all right. You'll be okay.
1: I'd rather die.
0: I'd rather die. Okay, so wait a minute now. That doesn't make any sense. He's not scared because he doesn't care about dying. So we find out later that the real reason he doesn't want to go to Nineveh is because he doesn't like the Ninevites and he doesn't want to preach to them because if he preaches to them, they might repent and they might get grace and he doesn't want that.
1: It's kind of like a a Democrat having to go and love a Republican. That's right. So my point, <laughs> or vice versa.
0: My point about that is is that it's, see how, see how the, the, the book originally kind of led you down the rosy path to think one thing, and then it deliberately perplexed you and confused you like, oh wait, huh? That ain't right. That, huh, what's going on here? And then it turns you the other way, and now you realize, oh. When it does that, it is teaching you. It's it's leading you to think one thing and then helping you understand another thing. And that kind of, that kind of thing is, is one of the ways that the Bible teaches you. So here's the, here's the good news about this. When you come across a passage that starts to bug you, starts to perplex you, it makes you maybe a little bit mad or it just makes you kind of confused. It's bringing you to an impasse. And it's gonna back you up because God says, "You've been thinking like you've been thinking. Now the only way through this blockage is to start thinking how I'm thinking." And so you gotta back up, you gotta reread, or you gotta keep reading. Like, okay, First uh, and Second Samuel, untangle this for me, or Book of Jonah, figure out, you know, help me to understand what's going on here. The thing about it is, is just be patient. God is correcting you through the authors way of doing that, and that perplexity is part of how you learn. Confusing people on purpose sometimes is a way to teach them. Have you ever experienced that? Like, if you've come to a wall, like we talked about you know, a few months ago, or, or weeks ago, or whatever it was, and you know, getting to that point is, God, I don't know. I, I, yeah, and he says, yeah, you've been thinking one way, it's time to start thinking another. And the Bible does that too. So when you come across those difficult passages or the weird little tensions, Look out for those. Those are clues that you are going to be taught if you keep reading. And actually, that's a really helpful, a really helpful it, thing it, it to remember. It
1: reminds me of a quote um, that I read somewhere. That really helped me with this. It says, when you're thinking about context, yeah, it's important to read the paragraphs before, the paragraphs after, maybe the whole book. But ultimately, the entire context of the Bible is what you have to consider. There, there's this meta-narrative, and, and theologians like N.T. Wright and, and uh, many guys like that just help you understand the meta-narrative of the Bible, and, and one of the most important things, and I tried to say this last week, I don't know if I said it very well, but hopefully you got it, is, is this isn't you about you reading, you're not picking out little life improvement verses so you can become a better human. I mean, that's kind of a consequence, but that's not the purpose of it. The purpose of this, this book, this 66 books of the Scripture with about 40 different human authors that we know of, and some of them we're not, we don't know at all. We don't know who they were. Here, here's the purpose. It's to invite us to be a part of God's story. Yeah. God never forgets something. He never forgets the originator of the universe, and that's Him. And, and without him, he is the, that's what he said. I, I, you know, and Peter got it. Well, you know, we'd all like to bail on you, Jesus, but you're the only one that has the words of life. This book is the only book that has the words of life. Even if I don't comprehend it now, and you know, how old are you? Can you confess? 52. 52. Fifty-two. All right. I, I'm, I'm 65. And The older I get, the more I feel like an infant when I read the scripture, and I've been reading it over and over and over again for forty-six years. And those aha dilemmas, confusions that I've had for, you know, forty-six years, isn't it great when one of those light bulbs goes off and you Uh, go? Finally, breaks loose. It's like such a dullard. Ah,
0: yeah, and then you'll never see it the same way again. You'll never. Yeah, It's it's so great.
1: And but there's a humility of mind yes. that yeah. is required because you got
0: to be humble and hang you, in there. Yeah,
1: yeah. you got to hang in there, and you know that's why uniqueness is not the goal of trying to be a biblical insight. And and I think the temptation. How many of you, you go to a scripture and then you hear somebody up front talk, and you go, How did they see that? That is so amazing. I mean, when I was a young believer, I was just did he get that insight? Yeah. Well, he did what we just are explaining. This isn't occult knowledge. Mm-mm. This is something you can do.
0: Yeah, just hang in every one there. of
1: you. But you got to hang in there. Mm-hmm. And if you don't get the story of Japheth offering his daughter, if God gives him victory in battle, and you go, that is a weird, weird story. It's meant to offend you. It's meant to offend yes. you. And you go, well, was that God's will? And the answer is, it doesn't draw a conclusion. And you're sitting there going, I just can't handle the book of Judges right now. And you know, sometimes that's, <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. It's just okay. You I'm just say, that aside for you know, a while. <laughs> I, I, I need to read a little bit more of this thing. But I did read last three weeks ago. I read that thing about keeping your vow to God. And then Japheth keeps his vow, even though it was a stupid vow. And, don't make stupid vows. And, and then you kind of go, and then you get to the point where you go, wait a minute. There's another thing called sacrifice when you make stupid vows and you get repentance and you repent of making stupid vows that you should keep to God, right? Yeah. And you go, but I missed that part because all I could see was these two little tensions and some of you go, Steve, what story are you talking about? It's in the book of Judges and it's weird. (laughs) But read it because it's there. It's kind of, uh, you know, PG 14 and a half maybe. Uh, But... Uh, there's, there's plenty of those in the Bible. But I think that's part of what we're getting at is the Word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. That's not a cozy verse, okay? It is... It is God uses it to pierce or divide body, soul, and spirit. It, God is always about separating Off from you. The old you from the new you. And a lot of the old you, and that's what we talk about a lot here, is we're trying to grow people up into the glorious inheritance among the saints that they have and the treasure trove of new life that Jesus Christ gave you when you were born again. And part of your ability to Feed on the Word of God is one of the main means of grace for you to receive that new life, an infusion. And that's why we so emphasize daily reading of the Bible. But if you don't have some, you know, it's dawning on us that some of the tools that maybe pastors and teachers get taught in school you need to be taught.
0: There's no reason that you can't learn what we learn. The, I mean, the whole, this, the whole point yeah. of us learning it is so we can teach you guys, and yeah. so if you have any questions, yeah, I mean, you know, that's, I, that's what I want to do when I grow up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's why I'm trying to do this thing that I'm doing, is I want, like, anyone to know how to, to, to read God's Word, because
1: it's so cool.
0: Amen. I mean, I just, I, sometimes it brings tears to my eyes. It's so cool. It
1: is. Thank you, Craig. Uh-huh. Isn't that great?